Lord Jesus, you want us to know you. You want us to know you at work in our lives, the power of God by your spirit, transforming us as individuals, transforming our church, transforming this world. And as we look into your word now, Lord, we realize that this is the place where that transformation can happen. We've sung about dry bones coming alive. We've sung, Lord, about how revival's in the air. God, how we pray that you would move among us in a new way. And that you would lead us into a new reality where we see the work of Jesus, the hand of Christ in power and in love, transforming lives. Make even this time that we spend with you in, in your word, the Bible, make it a transformative moment for us, Lord. Bless us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I'm going to ask you a question, as I sometimes do at the beginning of a sermon, and it, it is simply this. If, if you were to describe the best possible life that you can think of, what would it look like? You know, I think a lot of people go immediately to a man, if I could win that lottery and have millions of dollars in the bank, I'd be a happy guy. Don't buy lottery tickets, but, you know, beside that. You know, if I had millions of dollars, you know, I could do anything <clears throat> I wanted to do. I could go anywhere for holidays I wanted to go. You know, I could buy the things that I want that would be fun and enjoyable. Man, if I could just have no more financial concerns and have every financial worry cared for then, I mean, that would be an amazing life. That would be awesome. Other people might think, you know, uh, I would love it if I had power. Power to do the things that need done in this world. Power to change things. Not people, you know, telling me what to do uh, and, 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 and exercising their power over me, but me having the power to snap my fingers and incredibly good things could happen. Some people might say, well, if I was popular, if e I even had fame, can you imagine if I was a, a, a hockey player or a movie star and People, everybody knew me and admired me and wanted to be with me, wanted my autograph. That'd be amazing. Some people might say, you know what I'd like? I'd like to be beautiful or I'd like to be handsome. If I could only be that good looking, man, everything would be fantastic. The story goes on and on. The best family experience without conflict, without hurt among us, just, just loving one another. What would it be for you? What would it be? Now I ask that because in this sermon I'm about to preach, we're going to look at another one of the I am statements of Jesus. This is a series entirely about who Jesus identified himself to be. And there is one um, in which he describes himself, a passage that we're going to look at. And it's in this passage that he says that it is in him that we can have life, life to the full, life abundant. The message paraphrase says that we can have more and better life than we could imagine. Think about that. That's fantastic. More and better life than we can imagine. I just asked you to imagine what your best life could be. Jesus can give you more than that. And part of the question we're going to grapple with today is, are we living that? Are we there yet? Are we living that best possible life that we might know in Jesus? Well, John chapter 10. Last Sunday, we looked at the first six verses. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And... Um, you know, he talked about how he goes to the, the sheep in the pen and, and, and he calls them out by name and they recognize his voice as the shepherds would do in that day, having given their sheep names and the sheep having come to recognize the voice of the shepherd and they would follow him out and he would lead them forward. Um, and Jesus is describing a particular scenario in that instance and he's teaching about himself to the Pharisees. 
The problem is, it says in verse 6, that they don't understand what he's talking about. So he tries again. And he uses a bit of a different analogy in order to get his point across in this instance. And basically what he's speaking to is a distinction between a sheep fold or a pen in a town or a city where all the sheep, you might remember if you were here, they all go together uh, from all the different shepherds and then it's in the morning the shepherd comes and calls his own out. That's a, a sheep fold, if you would, that has a gatekeeper who opens and closes the gates all in the first paragraph of the text. But the, 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 the sheepfold that he's talking about in this uh, passage, the paragraph which follows, is a sheepfold that is in the country, in the wild, if you would. And the sheep, shepherd would, of course, lead the sheep to pasture. And rather than going back to the town on certain occasions, they would just stay out overnight. And the shepherd would have to either find or create a sheepfold, made of wood or of mud bricks, sometimes a cave. But in that instance, uh, there was an opening that didn't have a gate. And guess what Jesus calls himself? He calls himself the gate. So let's read this text with that in mind. Chapter 10, verses uh, 7 to 10 of uh, John, John chapter 10. Remember, Jesus is trying again. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. All right. Point here Jesus is trying to communicate is, is, is to the Pharisees. And he is telling them this in a way that their minds aren't really able to embrace. But he's saying to them, you know what? You have come before me and you were the thieves and the robbers. <laughs> you know, you are the one who, who, who wants to steal and kill and destroy these sheep of mine. If, if you would, you know, as, as a shepherd would lie in the opening of the sheep pen in the wild to protect from predators at night, he would actually sleep there. You guys are the predators. Jesus is pulling no punches here. You're the ones who want to take life away from my sheep. I am the one who wants to give it to them. First part of the text, you, you know, the sheep don't hear your voice and they don't follow you. Um, it's all in the context, by the way, of what has happened in chapter 9. And in chapter 9, it, there's a powerful story where Jesus heals a man born blind on the Sabbath day. He gives that abundant life to him. And what happens is the Pharisees come along and they try to discredit Jesus. You know, they blame him for sinning on the Sabbath. They think that he has. The man doesn't have anything of it. He, they go to his parents and out of fear they refuse to contribute to the con conversation. Remember, they're afraid of these shepherds. Uh, what they might do to them. And so the, the Pharisees go back to the man and, and they want him to call Jesus a sinner and he just refuses to do it. This man has encountered the reality and the power and the grace and the goodness of God. Right? As a result, the leaders insult the man. They call him a sinner steeped in sin from his birth. It's a reference to the idea that was earlier debated. Is, is this man blind because he was because of sin? They're saying, yeah, it's your sin that caused your blindness. And they throw him out. They excommunicate him. Very significant thing in the Jewish culture. They're, he is no longer part of the people of God. Won't be able to find work. People won't associate with him. But he stands firm for Jesus because of what Jesus has done for him. 
See, what Jesus is saying in, in, in verses 1 to 6, the first paragraph, they're not listening to you. They're not following you, are they? The blind man didn't, or the man who was once blind. Saying, you're the thieves, you're the robbers that are keeping people from life in God the way God wants them to know life. And then secondly, he says, I am the gate, the one through him, through whom, or through which I suppose they come in and go out. They come in and they find life in me. Let me read verses 9 and 10 again to you. It says there, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see the picture? Coming into the kingdom of God, coming into the family of God because of the work Jesus has done on the cross. They enter into this kingdom reality and, and, and they're protected there. And then they go out during the day to find pasture, to have their needs met, to know life and life to the full. See, these Pharisees have stolen life away. Kill, steal, kill, and destroy. They have brought spiritual death. Um, verses leading them to know life that people can have in knowing the true and living God. See, Jesus is doing here what he often does. He is going head-to-head, toe-to-toe with these Pharisees. He's speaking against the life the Pharisees are offering to these people which is dominated by judgment and condemnation and a fear-based legalism. It's all about obeying the rules. And if you don't obey the rules, you get hammered. They were hammering Jesus. They hammered this guy. They judged all involved. There's no recognition of what God has done in, 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 in opening the eyes of this man. There's no recognition that Jesus is doing the work of God and giving him life. The question comes, of course, what about us? What about us? The question that I want to ask you is, are you there yet? I think it's the appropriate question for us all. Have we found that life, that quality of living, that experience of living in Jesus that we can have that is a life that is more and better than we can imagine? It's a huge promise. It's a huge possibility. This amazing experience of Jesus and the life that it brings. You see, the reality is that far too many people who call Jesus Lord and Savior, see God as judge. And I, I want you just to seek your heart in this sermon. To what degree do you do it? I, I heard recently that uh, the survey done in the United States of Christian people across all denominations, 37% of U.S. Christians say that God is a judge. Judging them. Judging them. Unhappy with us. Never pleased with us. You know, so that we have to try to make him happy, try to get on his good side. But we never succeed. Why? Because we're never good enough. That's how most people live the... Well, four out of ten admit to it. That's how they live the Christian life. God unhappy with me. God looking down in consternation and disappointment. Jesus says, through me you can walk in, into protection. I will protect you. I will give you a place of belonging, a place of safety, a place of love. And through me, you can walk out into pasture where you can find joy. Have life to the full. I want to tell you, they are dramatically different ways of living the Christian life. You see, what Jesus is saying is, <laughs> they come through me and they are saved. We get saved in Christ because he went to the cross, because he went to the cross, we can be forgiven and, and we can have our guilt and our shame removed from us. 
We, we, can, we can come to that place where we, where we never have to face the reality of, if you would, of judgment of our sin again. Jesus has taken our judgment upon himself on the cross and it is gone. It is done. Now, I would suggest a lot of people don't really believe that functionally. They might say, oh, yeah, of course, our sin is dealt with. It is. No, it is gone. It doesn't exist in the mind of a God anymore because we have been saved by Christ. And as a result, God looks on us not in disapproval and condemnation, but he gives us his approval. He is pleased with us. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ in us. Do you believe that? As a result, he is for us, not against us. As a result, he finds joy in being with us. Zephaniah 3, one of my favorite passages. He delights in us and he sings over us with joy. He doesn't stand there going, uh, 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 look, look what you've done. He doesn't. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is the life that you can live. This is the life that is an amazing life, an experience of life. It's like when Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden before sin, as far as God is concerned. You know, sin hadn't entered, hadn't entered into the picture. They were in this deep fellowship with one another. They enjoyed one another. They loved one another. God loved them and was with them. That's God's perspective toward us now because Jesus has dealt with our sin. And it is gone. Let me ask you just a, a few things. A couple of test questions, and they're not meant to trick you. They're, they're honest ways of maybe evaluating your understanding of God. That's what this comes to, your belief about who God is and how he perceives you. Number one, I read this a while ago. God is thrilled if you give, him five, if you give just five minutes of your day to be with him. How many of you believe that? God is thrilled if you'll just give him five minutes every day just to be with your dad so that he might be with his child. See, some people believe that, but there are other folks, apparently 37% of American Christians, and who knows what the percentage of Canadians is, there are a lot of folks, and they would just struggle with that. They would find it foreign, questionable at best, because it just doesn't fit with their understanding of who God is or their relation, what their, they understand their relationship to be with him. I want to tell you, you give God five minutes, morning, afternoon, or evening, doesn't matter, he is thrilled. Because he loves you and he loves to be with you. And he enjoys being with you as you can enjoy being with him. How about this one? When you get to heaven and you walk up to those pearly gates, what are you going to feel like? Uh, do you think you're going to be walking into the presence of a God who was there to condemn and criticize and judge and blame? Or do you think that you're walking into the presence of God saying, come on home, my child, finally. Now we really get to be together. I've been looking forward to this for a long, long time. What do you think God's like? What will he be like that day? How about this one? I'm going to take you, give you just a minute, maybe not a minute, but if you had to draw a picture of God... Some of you are more artistic or visual or whatever, but what would God look like in your mind's eye? How would, you, how would you sketch him out on a piece of paper? I challenge you to do this later on at home. What would he look like? 
what would your picture display of, of his attitude, his characteristic? Certainly his perspective toward you. Would he be angry and unhappy because you don't measure up or would he be thrilled and smiling because you are his? You know, I, I heard uh, this past week that the most preached passage, and I'm assuming North America, although I don't know that, but the most preached passage every single year is, what do you think? What do you think is the most preached passage in the Bible? You know what it is? It's the prodigal son story. And that totally resonates with me because I've preached it a lot. <laughs> because it's an incredible, and it is a powerful, powerful story. Telling us what God is like. You see, Jesus is trying to communicate this reality. He, he's coming along and, 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 and he's saying, if you want to know what God's like, look at the prodigal son's father. And I want to tell you, um, we need to think of God. We need to learn. We need to ask God to open our eyes. We need to ask God to move us forward by the work of his spirit within us so that we can come to that place where we see God like this. So what is, what is God like? Well, first of all, this father sees the son coming. Um, and what's, what's his experience? Well, the dad runs to the boy. And you probably know the story. Dignified older man would never run. He'd have to lift up his robes in order to do it. I mean, you just didn't do it. It was a shameful thing to do. He didn't care about the convention. He just ran because he saw his boy coming home and he wanted to get to him. He was thrilled that that son had come home. And I want to tell you, he really didn't care about the boy's sin. Now, if you lean on the pharisaical, judgmental side, you'll go, whoa, Chris, God doesn't care about his sin. Listen, the father in this story couldn't care less about his son's sin. The young guy had this confession all prepared. He didn't get halfway through it before the dad just shut him down and started to love him. See, this was his boy. <laughs> and if you were his child, if you were his son or his daughter, what does God see of our sin? Nothing. It's gone. And, he, and the dad runs to him and he's thrilled that he is home. And um, it's an incredible picture that unfolds. You know? His heart is filled with joy. His heart is filled with love for this young, boy, young guy. And the first thing he does is become affectionate with him. You know, he, he kisses him on the cheek. He throws his arms around him. This incredibly rebellious guy who has gotten involved in the, maybe, the, you know, the, the muck of, of, of the world, as is demonstrated in, in him feeding pigs before he decided to come home. But the dad, it's not, it's not in his perspective. It's not in his heart. He just throws his arms around him and kisses him with great affection. And then he honors his son by giving him sandals and a cloak and a ring, all those things which identify him as his boy. And then he throws a party with music, and with music and dancing. My friends, in this story, where is the judgment? Where is it? Where is the condemnation? Where is the critical attitude? Where is the angry God? It's not there in this dad. It is absent. It doesn't exist. There's nowhere you see unhappiness or condemnation. There's nowhere where this boy is not good enough. 
And I, wa- I want to just take a minute and, and, and have you think about who it is that Jesus is giving this parable to. There are three stories communicating similar points in Luke chapter 15. Who is he speaking to? Let me read Luke 15, 1 to 3. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Judgment, condemnation. Stealing away life from precious children of God. Verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. And he tells them three, concluding with the story of the prodigal son. You see, these Pharisees are represented in the story not by God, but by the older brother. And if you know the story, I'm happy. You can go read it if, you, if you're not as familiar with it, but probably most of us do. And the older brother is the one who is critical. The older brother is the one who is angry and condemning. And I want to tell you, that's what many, many, many Christian people think God is like. And they're wrong, according to Jesus. I can't say it any more clearly or maybe more boldly than a lot of Christian people are deceived in their understanding of God. And they live their life thinking God is like the Pharisees. They live their life thinking that God is like the the, the older brother who is critical and angry and condemning, who is somebody you can never measure up to, you can never please. And if that's the case, the one who is the thief and the robber is killing and stealing and destroying the reality of what God is calling you into. You see, very often we, we project onto God who we think God is. It's like we are telling God, God, you're like this, when he's not. It must drive him crazy, come to think of it. But particularly that's the case when we, when we see our parents, and we often, 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 this is so true, we deal with this in our healing care ministry when it's up and running, I'd encourage you toward it. We think that God is like our parents. Now, what do our parents do? You know, they can become unhappy with us, and when we do things that are wrong, they punish us. You know, don't eat your peas, go to your room. Right? I mean, all of us live with that at some point, right? Or back in my day, you know. <laughs> And because of that, we come to this place where we, where, where we think that, that they're like God. They have to train us. I'm not saying some of this is bad. I'm just saying that's the condition in which we live. This is a reality that parents have to engage in. Otherwise, we'd be crazy maniacs. <laughs> they bless us with their discipline. But my friends, our parents are not God. And they love imperfectly, every single one of them, because they're not God. And you see, what I, what I want to stand before you today um, and do is, is tell you that Christ offers you himself as your gate. The one through whom you can go into the pasture and be saved. Some people here may not be saved. You may not have come to trust in Christ and invite him into your life and commit your life to him and, and live with him and for him. Jesus is saying, you want this life that is better than what you can imagine? I'm the key. I'm the guy. Come to me, and I'll show you something. But what Jesus is also saying is, if you'll come to me, and if you will enter into to the, the sheepfold through me by faith in me, by acceptance of me, by love of me, and following after me, then you will be able to go out, and you will find pasture. Pasture. And when is a sheep happier? 
I don't know sheep, I'm just saying this. I hope I'm right. They're, they're happiest when in the pasture nibbling at nice green grass, right? Filling their bellies. Sunshine, breeze, freedom. But I want to illustrate for you maybe in, uh, in, in, out of this context what Jesus is really talking about. I want to go back to that blind man because he illustrates for us what this life that is more than we can imagine actually is. See, he was a blind beggar sitting beside, uh, uh, sitting, uh, I think, at the road. No, he wasn't. Actually, that's blind Bartimaeus. That's a different story. But regardless, here's this man who has never seen a thing in his life. And he encounters Jesus, and the power of God touches his life. The grace and the love of God touches his life, and he's able to see. Can you imagine what that man's experience was that day? What an incredible thing God had done for him. He had experienced the reality of God in Jesus. And I want to tell you, from that moment on, his life would be transformed. Not only does he no longer... And no longer is he a beggar. No longer is he unable to provide for himself and work. No longer is he steeped in poverty. But now he's this relationship with Jesus, this incredible man who gave him sight and transformed his life. No wonder he wouldn't deny Jesus. No wonder he, w- he wouldn't call Jesus a sinner when the Pharisees, the power, the authority of his day, demanded that he would do so. He didn't care about them anymore. He wasn't going to follow them anymore because he had found this life that was more than, and better than he could have imagined. What does that mean for us, my friends? That means we can come into a relationship with Jesus. And as I think the passage speaks too powerfully, it's not just physical sight that the man was given, it was spiritual sight. We can come into an experience of Christ and we can experience his power, his healing, his working in and through us in ways that we, quite frankly, right now can't imagine. And we can see the, the work of God in us and through us. And we can know joy and peace and, and love and goodness and grace and hope. You see what Peterson has captured when he says, Jesus says life to the full or life abundant. And Peterson in the paraphrase says more and better life than you can imagine. See, we're called to be like the blind man whose eyes were open to see what he couldn't see before and entered into this relationship with Jesus where he encountered the reality of God whereby his life was transformed into what God wanted it to be. And I want to tell you, my friends, when we get to that place, number one, we're not going to think about God and draw a picture of an angry old man sitting on a throne ready to condemn us or hit us on, on the head with a two-by-four. <laughs> That's not who God is. We're going to get beyond that. We're going to recognize that we're in relationship with a God who is just deeply in love with us, who does delight in us, who does sing over us with joy, who is thrilled simply because his kid takes five minutes to be with him before they go to work in the morning, if that's when you do it. Because he loves to be with you and he loves to have fellowship with you as he loved to have fellowship with Adam and Eve in the garden. Guess what I'm saying is, what Jesus is saying to these people, to the Pharisees, hey guys, you get this all wrong. <laughs> you, were, you were killing, you were stealing, you were destroying in terms of trying to communicate who God is and what this relationship looks like. But he said, the people that come after me, the people who follow me, they know who I am. And in me they will find life abundant and life full. So to conclude, I guess I just want to ask you, have you encountered Jesus like that? 
It's a big question. That's a significant question. Has Christ by his spirit moved in your life in such a a manner that you have found healing from some of your deepest wounds? Jeff told us today about uh, a a songwriter whose brother, I believe, was an alcoholic and he came to Jesus and boom, it's gone. That doesn't happen all the time, but I'm telling you when we encounter Christ, we encounter his power and we find life in a way that we couldn't imagine. So part of what I want to say to you today out of this teaching about Jesus being the gate, he's identifying himself. He's the one through whom we can be saved. He and he alone. We'll talk more about that with another I am statement. But he is saying, know who I am. Know this relationship. Follow after me. And you will find the, you know, it is the best life that a human being can know because we are discovering this relationship with God that we were discovered to know. And in that relationship, every one of our deepest needs will be met. And it can be amazing. So I guess what I'm saying, my friends, is never, never be satisfied with what you have. There's always more. But first and foremost, get into the God's presence and ask him to reveal to you who he truly is. Because it is out of that realization, out of that understanding, that we can be freed from this deception and come to know this God absolutely loves us and who can move by his spirit in us and take us to life. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know where everyone is in this church in their relationship with you, but what I do know is many people have yet to really see and understand God as God has revealed himself to be. And we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the prodigal son story. We thank you for the example of the man born blind and how he encountered Jesus and how Jesus blessed him richly and deeply and profoundly. God, I would pray, first of all, for people who have not yet entered through the gate and who have not been saved, who have not become part of God's family, I pray that you will give them the longing in their hearts to simply say yes to you. And I pray, Lord, that they will receive you as Savior and as Lord and they'll confess their sins so that they too can be freed from any judgment and condemnation. And then, Lord, I pray for believing people here who have not yet seen you as you truly are and who walk around under this weight and under this burden of a fear-filled legalism trying to please you but never quite getting there. Lord, open the eyes of these folks so that they can see the truth which Jesus has revealed. And I pray they'll come to understand their sin is gone, their guilt and their shame is gone, and that all that remains is the love of God and joy in his presence. Speak, Lord. These are things that are the deeper things of the Spirit where we need you to provide this knowledge to us. Open our hearts and open our minds to receive your truth. This God we pray in Jesus' name.